This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It's the Now News Panel on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, joined by Michelle McQuig and Joyda Gupta. Let's address the next topic. Vancouver City Hall is putting in some new security measures. Members of the public attending council meetings and other public events will have to go through a metal detector and a bag check. The city says the change is about an evolving security environment. Saskatchewan's legislature also brought in some temporary security measures after protests impacted government proceedings. I think it's worth exploring the idea of putting more and more distance between politicians and citizens. And Michelle, the core question here is what's the balance between the security of elected officials and the public's access to them? And I'll sort of put a little more preamble on this. One of the things that always struck me when I lived in Ottawa was the ability to go into Ottawa City Hall and literally any any human could talk to their councillor in the hall or a different city councillor in the hall and walk around with relative free reign. And I always thought... This is what a nice democracy feels like. I can go shake the hand of David Shevchenko and be like, hey, I'm really interested in the bike path that you installed on Bank Street. I like the way you did that, or occasionally be a little critical of the, of the member of council. But I used to feel like, wow, this is like what democracy should feel like. That's really mm-hmm. cool. And, and I have to say, I've never really thought about it in those terms, I guess, because I just, I wasn't around... Toronto City Hall very much growing up, but it's a really interesting question. And I feel like it's been one that's been batted back and forth and where the pendulum has swung some over the past decade. I feel like social media in a way Mm -hmm. started to really narrow that gap. And I I remember when Twitter, uh, before Twitter turned into the uh, the cesspool that it is today, (laughs) a lot of people saw it as a great way to access politicians. It was a cool way to get to know some of them on a more, to get see more personal sides of them, those that chose to engage that way. Certainly a lot of politicians leaned into those platforms and, and re- were responsive and engaged with with their followers that way. And that felt like a, a sea change for a number of people. I remember talking about that in terms of access to politician, not in the physical sense, but in the, in, in, more, in a different sort of way that mattered equally to them. Uh, but with that, then, of course, we get the threats. And that's why I think we're seeing the pendulum swinging the other ways, because we've talked on this panel before, but how politicians are feeling deeply under attack. There's documented evidence of great numbers of the great spikes in, in, in threats and even outright violence against female politicians, politicians mm-hmm. of all stripes, really. But women face it more. Racialized politicians face it more. But it has become a more volatile environment for politicians. And so these kinds of security measures... Uh, while they might dampen the democratic experience as as you had it, Dave, and I think that's a really interesting point, um, there's also a reason why it's happening, and it's a mm-hmm. tricky balance to strike. Yeah. Um, and I don't think having some measures in place 
uh, is necessarily going to change the democratic fabric, but I do think it's a necessary measure given the climate we're in. Yeah, I think a bag check and a metal detector is probably not the worst idea in the world to go into a place of power, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I get it. Also, what's what's notable here is, I, I should have mentioned this in the intro, if you are found to have something in your bag that's not allowed, you are allowed to go stow that somewhere or store that somewhere. It's not like the airport mm -hmm. where they're going to go drag you into a room and uh, and hold you there for hours <laughs> on end without a lawyer. Like, you know, it, it's, it's not quite as draconian as I made it out to be. In the case of Saskatchewan, it was because of, of an escalating protests where it was some ID checks when people were going in. Anybody who's been to the parliamentary buildings in Ottawa know you have to go through a security check as well. So it, mm -hmm. it's it's not as if it's preposterous, but, but Joita, I think Michelle is right to identify that there's a lot of people in this world across the political spectrum that have maybe lost their ability to act like they have some sense when they get around people with power. Michelle mentioned uh, female politicians. Uh, Jagmeet mm -hmm. Singh, federal leader of the NDP, has been uh, publicly harassed and attacked by people. And, and I think back to the 1990s when it was not uncommon to find Prime Minister Jean Chrétien at the Harveys mm -hmm. down the street from, from the halls of Ottawa. And I just feel like we're getting further and further away from what felt like a Canadian fabric that was accessed mm -hmm. to Canadian uh, politics and more to that American ivory tower uh, position where, like, the public almost never gets to interact with their politicians. I think 9-11 changed things in a very fundamental way. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the reasons why the security state has become so apparent uh, and you don't have politicians at a local fast food restaurant or the ability to stroll down Councillor Alley, that's what they used to call it in Toronto City Hall, where you could just go and knock on someone's door and shake hands and talk to a local councillor. In theory, that's a really good idea to still be able to do that. And I can see how a bag check or going through a metal detector and, and jumping through hoops and needing to make appointments could be a deterrent for someone who in nowadays long gone could have just walked in and, and talked to their counselor or a representative of the counselor. So yes, I mean, it's, it's not what it used to be, uh, but at the same time, there are reasons for that. Uh, imagine, if you will, a scenario where there was some kind of violence, maybe there was a shooting or a stabbing, then what would the conversation be? The conversation would be, well, why wasn't there better security? Yeah, so yeah. I feel like yeah. it's really hard to turn back time on this one. But social media has, in some respects, really opened up Councillor Alley in a different way. Now you've got a digital yeah. space where you can interact with politicians. But I, again, encourage people to take that with a grain of salt, because not everybody is on social media. A lot of older people don't get on social media and interact in the same way. And I don't know if it has the same impact uh, as face-to-face -face yeah. conversations. And that's my and worry I that we sometimes oversell social media. And I feel like the social media space is now a lot less organic than it was when it first took root. Uh, I think at the, you know, in those early days of those early politician Twitter mm -hmm. accounts, it probably was the politicians themselves operating them. Now those are totally folded in with communications departments, there's staff involved. It's not the direct means of communication that a face-to-face -face conversation would be, or even that social media might've been in the early days. Uh, yeah, a... which is why, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, please, Joanna. I was going to say, which is why it's sort of imperative on councillors, especially if you're, you know, in a place like Toronto, where you don't have a party mechanism to back you up, to start to really roll out the town halls and other kinds of public meetings so that your constitu constituents actually get to see you and hear from you and talk to you, because otherwise, uh, you know, it's not a question of goodwill, because otherwise you're, you're just going to be finished the next time the election rolls around. So... You know, it is incumbent upon politicians to make themselves more available, uh, but also for people who want to interact with politicians, I think there's an important distinction between raising a protest 
uh, which is legitimate in a democracy, um, versus behavior that could be discriminatory or harassing in the way that Michelle laid up. Yeah, and it's a very it's a very fine line. It's a very fine line, and it cuts across all political stripes. That's something that I want to emphasize this morning, that it's not just yes. one side of the political spectrum that doesn't seem to know how to behave themselves when they end no, up in no, the hall, no, no. when they end up in the halls of power. But Michelle, that was actually going to be my concluding thought. I think Julia and I are having sips of the same tea this morning in regards to a model that might create more mandatory town halls, that there needs to be a situation where constituents are given easy access to spend time, talk to, and ask questions of their elected officials. I, I, I just think that if you're going to continue to throw up some barriers in these public spaces, then you at least need to create more opportunities in public space for individuals to interact with politicians. I, I think I might have dipped into that same teapot because I totally agree. It's <laughs> it's it. This is literally what they're there for. This is their job is to represent constituents. And to do that, you need to know what the constituents think and feel. So you need to be able to communicate with them and have that kind of access. And without those channels, then you're basically just a figurehead. So yeah, I completely agree that the that that point of connection needs to be accommodated somehow. Um, I'm not sure how what that would look like. More town halls, maybe. Um, tricky, though, when, when you have politicians, that, when, when security decisions are being made by an entity that doesn't necessarily reflect individual offices. But yeah, there, there needs to be that balance needs to be struck. It's, it's, it's really crucial and fundamental. To the way or, or you can borrow some ideas that a couple premiers roll out, which is uh, radio shows. Uh, the premier of Alberta does a weekly radio show. Yes. And, oh, that, and, good that, and, point. and that predates Daniel Smith. Jason Kenney used to do it as well. Uh, the premier yep. of Ontario uh, famously likes to talk about football on Fridays. Can't blame him. But, you know, maybe an opportunity to ask a couple non-football questions. He and his brother, questions. the mayor of Toronto, once had a pretty notable radio show. That uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I get, I, maybe using an open line radio show might actually be the way to do it. A little talk radio. Look, I'm pumping my fist with excitement because I love me a little talk radio. Okay, all right, let's put this one to bed. Coming up after the break, Quebec, coming up after the break, Quebec's legislature has unanimously adopted a motion in defense of Christmas. What? Come on, really? Okay, the panel will dive into it after the break. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.